It's our second week of Advent. Uh, We're we're taking a look at the Advent this holiday season, which is uh, the historical church calendar will take four weeks prior to Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, and we look at four words. And we look at the first word that we looked at last week, which is hope. And we look at peace, we look at joy, we look at love. And so that's where we're going to be during this month. So today we're looking at peace. And we, I, I love just being able to take this Advent idea, which began in the early church, actually to think about the coming of the Lord, the second coming, and throughout history had shifted and changed to celebrate the fact that God came to earth. And then we also, with expecting hearts, think about the fact that he'll return again. So right now we're going to take a look at peace. And the way I'm doing Advent, the way I want to study that this year is to take a look at these words how they've been historically selected, but then ask the question, what do the scriptures really say about this topic? So that's how we looked at hope. This week we look at peace. I want to take you to Luke chapter 2, verse 14, a familiar passage for a lot of us. It's, uh, if you've ever watched the Peanuts Christmas, you know this one, uh, because it's the one that Charlie Brown declares with great authority, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. I think there's a declaration. So what's going on here is the angelic realm is making a declaration into the earthly realm when the Savior arrives. But I think it's more than just an announcement of his birth. There's something being declared into the earth. And I would love to submit that what's being declared into the earth is that God has a desire for peace on earth. That he's saying to humanity, this is my heart for you, peace on earth. Last week, we looked at Romans 5, and in verse 2, Paul will say it this way, therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. There's two phrases here that we have to look at. One is have, have been made right. Consider this. No matter where you're at, I want you to stop and think about this idea. The word phrase, have been made right, in the Greek means to be faultless, guiltless, without blame. Just take that one for a second. Apply it to yourself. According to Paul, because of what Jesus did, all of us can, with authority, say, I have been made right with God. I am faultless, guiltless, and blameless before God. How many think that's a good word? How many are like, it can't be true, it's too good? That is why it was called the gospel. The word means good news in its origin. Because the, the, the statements that were being made were so outlandish. You are now guiltless, faultless, blameless before God. What do I have to do to get that? Nothing. He did. So the second phrase that Paul says here is, because of this fact that we're faultless and guiltless and blameless, we now have peace with God. And this phrase, have peace, it means to to hold or be in possession of an ability. It's an interesting word in the Greek. What Paul's saying is, we now have the capacity or the ability for peace. This word peace here in the Greek, irain, is the word. It means to join with, but it joins us with three unique things according to the Greek language. It's to join with prosperity, with health, and with oneness. Prosperity here, the definition of it as studied through the scripture is to have more than enough. Health is the condition of being at rest physically, emotionally, and spiritually. It's this word oneness that catches me because it honestly means completeness without fragmentation. 
So here's the declaration that God makes to earth. Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace. Here's what I want for you, humanity. This is the king of glory speaking. What I want for you is prosperity. I want health. I want oneness. That's my heart for you. Jesus goes to the cross, and we just celebrated the bread and the cup. And what he purchases is the ability for us to walk in health, in prosperity, and in oneness. Colossians chapter 3 how many have ever been in a situation where you were around somebody or maybe it was you, you had to make a life decision? Just so you know, I know my Bible. It's actually verse 15. I just wrote it wrong, sorry. Um, you've been around somebody and they're like, you know, I'm just, I'm just waiting to get peace to make this decision. I'm just looking for peace. How many have ever been around somebody like that? How many have been around somebody who's making an incredibly dumb decision and you, you want to question it, but they're like, I just have peace. You're like, it's so hard to argue the God card, even though I think you're an idiot. (laughs) So we look at this verse in Colossians 3, and it says, let the peace that comes from Jesus rule your hearts. This word rule is to be a governor or an umpire. For some of us, maybe maybe athletics are are a thing we pay attention to. You know, umpires always make a call post-decision. Something happens, and then they say yes or no to it. If you think about maybe this time period, somewhere around these first two or 300 years in Rome, we would see pictures of, of events, whether it was a, an arena event or whether it's an athletic event, there would always be someone who would be watching over it. And, and Hollywood does it super dramatic where they'll step out in drama and they hold their hand up and if it's like this, they live. If it's like this, they don't. I don't know that Paul's speaking about that specifically, but he's clearly using a word that means to rule in favor or rule against. So he says, let the peace that comes from Jesus give you the yes or the no. The interesting thing is the Greek doesn't actually contain the word let. That's an English addition. If we look at what the Greek really says, it it will say it this way. Peace now governs your heart. And what I would submit is that Paul is sharing not a feeling, not a, yeah, I, I got peace, I can do this. Paul's actually sharing a supernatural process. And he's saying peace is the byproduct of something. Now, if we look at the verses ahead of that, I want to read those for us. Since we've been raised to new life in Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits at God's right hand in the place of honor and power. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Do not think only about the things down here on earth. For you died when Christ died. And your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your real life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual sin, impurity, lust, shameful desires. Don't be greedy for the good things of this life, for that's idolatry. God's terrible anger will come upon those who do such things. You used to do them when your life was still part of this world. But now, it's time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old evil nature and all its wicked deeds. And in its place, you have clothed yourself with a brand new nature that is continually being renewed as you learn more and more about Christ, who created this new nature within you. So this, in this new life, it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave, free. Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people whom he loves, you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. You must make allowances for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, 
So you must forgive others. And the most important piece of clothing you must wear is love, for love is what binds us all together in perfect harmony. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, as we take a look at this concept of peace, and we take a look at what the scriptures say, we ask for you to open the eyes of our hearts to understand, to learn, to know, not just to hear, but to be able to put into practice what your word says, to be able to make the adjustments that have to be made in our lives, to walk out the scriptures, to be a people that don't just love the scriptures, but to be a people that uphold the scriptures and live them out. We honor you, we bless you in Jesus' name, amen. So Paul says, since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits at God's right hand in this place of honor and power. This phrase, set your sights here, the root word means to fix your mental attention. It's the idea of being intentional about what you're gonna focus on. All too often, we would let things grab our attention, and that Paul's statement is, don't let things grab your attention. I want you to choose where your attention goes. On the realities of heaven, the, word is, the, the root word is anti, and it literally means not of this world. So he says, I want you to get your mind off of this stuff, and I want you to be intentional about putting your mind on heaven. Where Christ sits in power is an interesting phrase because what it tells us It's not just ignoring what's going on around us and pretending it doesn't exist. It's actually getting our eyes fixed on Jesus. And in it is hardwired a connection. So the first movement that Paul will say here in Colossians is, I want you to set your mind right, and I want you to get connected and focused on Jesus. For you died when Christ died, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your real life, is revealed... To the whole world, you will share in all his glory. This phrase, you died, is actually not a mental phrase like I want you to consider yourself dead. Paul actually makes a fact statement in the Greek. He says there was something supernatural that happened, which is your old life died at the moment you came into the kingdom. And now your new life is hidden in Christ. And so this this new life hidden in Christ literally means there was a transfer of life. I would love to submit to us that sometimes we get caught up in the idea that it's all semantics, it's all mental, but Paul says there was actually something supernatural that was transferred, that life was moved from one realm to another, and actually what he says is you're hidden now in Christ. The word hidden means to be placed within. I think so often we think Jesus came into my life and the reality is I was moved into him. I was transferred into him. If we study Paul and his teachings in other places in Corinthians, he'll talk about sin and he'll say, don't you get it? When you step into sin, you step into immorality, you're actually joining that to Jesus. Why? Because you're hidden in Jesus and supernaturally, you've been transferred out of this world into the king of glory. You live inside of him and so don't bring that stuff into him. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual sin, impurity, lust, shameful desires. Don't be greedy for the good things of this life, for that is idolatry. God's terrible anger will come upon those who do such things. You used to do them when your life was still part of this world, but now it's time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you've stripped off your old evil nature and all its wicked deeds. This phrase, put to death, The word in its root means to deaden. It is to take away the ability of something to do its job, to work. I was thinking about it this week. 
Maybe you look up here and you'll see there's acoustic panels that are up here along the top. I run a company, it's the kind of stuff we do. Their only job is to deaden sound waves. And what they do is they, they remove the ability of sound to transfer. So they absorb them. What it does for us is it makes it sound nice in here. It doesn't, if you remember early, it sounded like an echo chamber when we first moved in. And we just, it was great. It was super acapella and it was awesome. But it was loud and obnoxious. This is the idea that Paul is giving here, is that we need to be willing to put whatever things in place that it takes to remove from our sin nature its ability to function. Put it to death. I'd love to say it this way. If I know a part of me is dead, then I know no matter what appetite it has and no matter what it says, it, I'm not going to give it room to function because it's dead. And dead people don't eat. He says, so put to death earthly things. And those are impulses, according to the, the Greek, that belong to this very specific time and space. Paul just says, kill them, ignore them. One of the quotes that I've lived my life on came from a Bible college professor ahead of Christ for the Nations. And he said, just because you feel it doesn't make it truth. And Paul's statement here is, you might feel like you need to follow that thing. You might feel the urge, feel the impulse, feel the appetite, but that does not mean you have to follow it. In fact, you have been given the authority and the opportunity and the privilege because of Christ and your faith in him to put it to death and say no. He said you used to do them, and it's an interesting word phrase here, because it actually paints a picture of pre-Jesus. So Paul's saying, look, when you didn't know him, I get it. That was hardwired into you. You really had nothing in you that gave you the ability to say no, because all you had was a sin nature. But you came to Christ. There was a supernatural transfer. You actually now have the ability fully to say no. This word get rid of means to lay them aside. What it tells me is it's a choice. It tells me that putting these things to death is a choice that we've been given to make. It's a power that's been put in our hands to exercise. How many grew up, I mean, I grew up Pentecostal. I'll just use me for an example. So somehow, as early Pentecostal life, I learned how to say the devil made me do it. Because I, I understood when I said that to my mom, she would be like, yeah, I get it. And she would leave me alone. I would love for once and for all time to say this. No, he didn't. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And so because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now choose to lay these things aside. So Paul moves into a more positive place and says, in its place, you've clothed yourself with a brand new nature that is continually being renewed as you learn more and more about Christ, who created this new nature within you. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people whom he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. You must make allowances for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. 
most important piece of clothing you must wear is love, for love's what binds us all together in perfect harmony. This phrase is continually being renewed as you learn from him. The clear idea is direct education in the Greek. So if I look at this phrase that Paul says, in its place, you've clothed yourself with a brand new nature that is continually being renewed as you learn more and more more about Christ. The idea is precise and correct contact or direct education. What does that sound like? It sounds like hardwired into this equation is the expectation that I am spending time at his feet learning from him. That's no longer a choice for good believers or better believers or the crazy ones or the intercessors or the radicals. It's actually just a natural occurrence in a believer's life. And that when I sit with him, there's a continual renewing that happens, which means the more time I spend with him, the more the transfer of kingdom happens. The more heaven invades earth, if we could put it that way. What that also tells me is the less time I spend with him, the less transfer is happening. And that Jesus always expected that I would spend time with him to recharge the battery, so to speak. And so some of us walk around feeling incredibly depleted spiritually, and the answer is super simple. Make it a priority and get some time with Jesus. I don't know what to do there. I don't care. Show up and go, I have nothing to say. I just want to be with you. It's still better than nothing. Because time with him, encounter with him, brings renewal on the inside. He says, you must clothe yourself. Now, how many of you went to the closet this morning and stood in front of the closet and went, pulled a Tony Stark and went like this and everything just jumped on you? For those of you who don't know who Tony Stark is, it's 2019 almost, figure it out. No, the clothes don't jump on you. You've got to select them and then you have to do something. You have to actually put an arm in and put them around and button them up. This is the word that Paul uses here. To put on is a choice or an action. It's a discipline. And what does he say to put on? Tender mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness of offense, grace for mistakes, love. And then, catch this, at the end of all of this, then he says, peace now governs your heart. You see, this supernatural peace, this irene, this prosperity, this health, this oneness that we're called to walk in is not some feeling we get by making decisions or, or something we wait for. It's actually the byproduct of living out the kingdom. It's the byproduct of being willing to live in purity, to live in holiness, to live in tenderness, to live in love. to live. In, and when we do the things prescribed here, the result in our lives is peace. And I would submit to us that this is God's heart. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. Always in that was hardwired in God's mind. I'm gonna show them how to live into peace. I'm gonna show them the lives and the lifestyle to live that will bring peace. What happens if, hey, I haven't been living that way. My life is is a mess right now. I've messed some things up. I've been making choices. See, I have a personal rule. I don't make a single decision without talking to Jesus about it. That's so cumbersome. It's really not. Because on the one side of it, you live with the, I hope this works. And the other side of it, you live with, you know what, you told me this, and if it doesn't work, I know you're faithful and you'll follow it through. 
this sound crazy. We're all crazy. We're either believing in something real or we're certifiable. That is the line in the sand. There's no other way to slice this. Abraham believed God. Abraham has a dream, halved animals lay in front of him and candlesticks fly through him. He's either nuts or it happened. So we need to figure that out. Part of this is the mystical, which is I live in an encounter with the king of glory. His voice is speaking into my life and I'm letting him lead me. I'm letting his scriptures guide me and I'm submitting myself to him. So I would say the first thing is choose this lifestyle. Just go, you know what, Lord, I'm gonna live what scriptures say. I'm gonna sit in this Colossians passage and I'm just gonna look at it and rip it apart and go, yep, I need this in my life. Second thing is if you have screwed it up, repent. What's repentance? It means I agree with you, Lord, that was wrong. I'm not doing it again and move on. And then the third thing is work it out with the Holy Spirit. Live in a daily relationship with the Lord. Where you say, Lord, I want your peace to govern my life. Lord, what do you think about that? Think about what it looks like to live with the Holy Spirit if you give him the opportunity to go like this. Just over the simple micro moments. I'm just gonna step back and go, look, I surrendered my life to you, I want your help. Lord, I don't know, what should I do in this situation? I'm at a crossroads. This is what I think I'm gonna do. Okay, what else do you want? Stand with me this morning, please. God speaks peace on earth. We know it's his desire. Jesus secures our ability to walk in it on the cross. And now the question for us as the family of God is, will we align with the process of peace? Will we live into the process that God has declared brings peace?